The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke chapter four. Glory to you, O Lord. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise so, to you, O Christ. The vision team came up with this, and, and, and again, thank you to all of you who are on the vision team, came up with this statement that captured what the rest of you guys had said in the surveys and in the, um, uh, the dinner and discussion that we had. And what, it, what, what we all came up with was, together we have found healing and hope in Jesus Christ and welcome others to experience these same gospel promises. So I have to tell you, I'm, I'm not like a big, when people start talking about vision statements and mission statements, I always kind of tune out. I, I've never really put a whole lot of stock and stuff like that. But this was a ton of fun. I, and I'm, I'm not saying that that's right. It's probably wrong. It's not smart on my part. But it was a lot of fun to come up with this and to think about, for, to hear from you guys, what is your experience of being a Christian? What's your experience of St. James Lutheran Church? And what does that mean for uh, what we're gonna be going forward? And so we came up with this statement um, the guy, uh, uh, Tom Agerbrecht, those of you guys, you guys know Tom Agerbrecht from, uh, a lot of you know him from Lutheran uh, Church Extension Fund, recommended I preach about the vision statement. Uh, I, again, we were right in the middle of a sermon series. I was kind of reluctant to do that. But then I thought, okay, let's do this and get it over with. And it's been, I think, helpful for me too to kind of think about how am I going to express what we've talked about in this vision statement out loud, that's been helpful too. So two weeks ago, before Pastor or Josh Lang was here last week preaching to us, and uh, by the way, if I can interrupt my sermon to say that next week I won't be here, but Dr. Bob Weiss will be here, who was the pastor here for eight years uh, before I got here. And um, for those of you who know Dr. Weiss, he's a real treasure. And for those of you who don't know him, uh, you'll be glad to get to know him next week. Um, so two weeks ago, we talked about healing. Who are we? And the answer is people who've been healed. And that was one of the comments that came up most is people have come to St. James from lousy church experiences. I've heard this a lot. And Lutheran churches, non-Lutheran churches, people walk away from church hurt. And what's happened is, is they've come to St. James and it's not because of my gentle, tender nature. I promise you, I'm kind of a blowhard. It's been because Jesus has healed us and a lot of people describe that's kind of who we are. We're people that have been healed by the gospel. The second part of this statement is not who, who we are, we're people who've been healed, but what are we to be doing? And the answer was a people who are about the mission of restoration here in Glen Carbon. And that's the last line here. Welcome others to experience these same gospel promises. And I want to talk about restoration this morning. Now, when I get back in town, we'll talk about the th third pillar, which is what's the connection? What's the connection between us being a healed and healing, not completely healed, of course, but a healing church, and a church that's, that's taking that healing to Glen Carbon. And that, the, the answer to that will be Christian community, like relationship. And I'll talk about that when I get back in town. But today, let's talk about restoration. 
Restoration, you can't, you can't talk about restoration without starting and ending with new creation, which is why we read that Old Testament text from Isaiah 65 and the Revelation 21 text earlier today, because restoration at its heart is about God's plan to fix everything that's screwed up in this world. And whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, every single person in here, unless you're just completely not on Twitter or not watching the evening news or not looking in your own mirror, everybody is aware that the world is a screwed up place. And there's tons of junky stuff that's happening out there and in here. What is God doing to fix that? He promises that he's going to fix it. That when Jesus returns someday, he's going to get rid of relational brokenness. He's gonna get rid of physical brokenness. He's gonna get rid of moral and psychological and mental brokenness. That's Jesus' promise that he's gonna do that. When we talk about restoration, it has to find its locus in that reality, the new creation reality. So a couple quick things I wanna get to this morning is, let me, let me do three things. First of all, I just did the first one real quick. God's plan is to make a new creation. I'm gonna come back to this in a second. Uh, I'm gonna beat this dead horse again in this sermon. God's plan is not to take you to heaven when you die. If you are a Christian, you will go to heaven when you die. That's not the end of the story. It's not God's ultimate plan. That actually is a plan B. The only reason that happens is because death has been introduced by our rebellion. And when you die, your body is going to go in a grave and decompose or be cremated or be scattered at sea or whatever you're planning on doing with your body. And your soul is gonna be with Jesus. That's not the end of the story. The reality of new creation is that when Jesus returns, he brings your soul with him. He raises your body from the dead. Even if it's completely decomposed and scattered to the winds, he's gonna raise your body and reunite them together again so that the butt that is sitting in that pew right now will be the same butt that exists forever in new creation, only this time made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the plan. He's gonna redeem creation. He's gonna redeem our relationships. He's gonna redeem us individually. That's what restoration is all about. Second thing. Jesus started this already in his ministry. I know that Isaiah 65 sees it as future. Revelation 21 sees it as future. That's true. It's something that's going to finally happen when Jesus returns. But Jesus came from that territory into our present world 2,000 years ago and began this. So look real quickly, quickly, quickly with me at the gospel reading in Luke chapter 4. And I just want to look at that bit that Jesus says about himself. He's actually quoted from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is in um, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me. That word anointed, by the way, if you knew Hebrew, and you could see the Hebrew word that's behind that English translation, anointed, you would see that it's the word Messiah. Because God has Messiahed me, has made me the Messiah, Jesus says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because, God, because he has Messiahed me to proclaim good news. Again, if you could see the original language behind that, you would see that that's the word for gospel because he's, he's, he's messiahed me to proclaim the gospel to the poor. The word poor is very, very broad. It's uh, it mean financially poor. It can also mean poor in spirit like you see in the Beatitudes. Jesus came to fix poverty. Jesus came to solve the poverty problem on, on every level. Physical poverty, spiritual poverty, the whole thing. Those things are both a problem. They're both the result of the fall. They're both the result of sin. Jesus came to fix those. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. Literally, to, to, to tell those who are political prisoners, you're free. The bad guy is out. 
and the good king Jesus is in. The Nebuchadnezzars of the world, the pharaohs of the world, the Caesars of the world, the oppressive governments of the world are out and the new righteous king is in. Recovering of sight to the blind, Jesus came to heal the blind. Of course, he did this a lot. If you've, if you've read the gospels, you see Jesus is all the time healing blind people. He's also all the time healing people who are spiritually blind. One of the points of the story in John chapter 10, where he heals the man born blind, at the end of the story is, is that this guy was blind, but now he sees because he knew he was blind and he came for help. You though, the religious majority, he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, you, you think that you can see, so you're actually still blind. Jesus is here to heal, to heal, here to heal both. Our intellectual, our spiritual, our psychological blindness because, as, as a result of sin, and also physical blindness as a result of sin. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to say now is the time God is finally here to shed his grace and love upon you and redeem you from your sins. Restoration is about the future, yes, but it's something that Jesus has already started in his ministry. Jesus does this. He doesn't just, Jesus isn't just doing nice things for people, although what he does is nice, of course. That's not the point, though. The point is, is that Jesus is targeting the great enemy behind all of the bad stuff that ever happens. Our sin, the devil, and death which is the great boogeyman, which is hanging over the heads of all of us. Jesus is here to destroy those things. In order to do that, though, he can't just come and just do nice things. Jesus becomes a human being so that he can die. He, he, he died a death just like you and I will die. I mean, his is a different circumstance. He's, he's lynched and then brutally murdered. Hopefully it doesn't happen to any of you in here. But he dies. His death is a normal human death. Three days later, he rises from the dead, though, which now makes death powerless. Death has no power over us now who are in Jesus Christ because he's beat death. You can't be killed. I mean, you can be killed, but you can't stay killed. You're, you're invincible now in Jesus Christ. The thing that is the most scary thing behind all the other scary things, the thing, the tool that all the bad governments and all the bad guys and all the bad diseases in the world hold over your head to make you afraid, which is death, Jesus does away with it by dying and rising from the dead. Thus, he cures every spiritual problem, he cures every physical problem, he cures every relational problem, and we're not gonna look at this today, but he cures every environmental problem too. Somehow, Romans 8 says that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, the, new, the creation itself is included in that grand benefit, and the creation itself will get its own resurrection from the dead someday when God renews all things. Okay, so first thing, New creation is future. Second thing, Jesus started doing it now. Third thing, Jesus invites us on this mission with him. In John 20, verse 21, he says this to his disciples. This is after he died and rose from the dead. He says to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. The Father sent me to fix all the problems in the world. I've done that, and now I'm sending you on this mission with me. Now, this is very important. Jesus didn't come and heal the blind to set an example for us because I don't have the power to heal blind people, just so you know. Jesus came to do it all himself and then he lets us be a part of it. And we're following him not because he's this example of how to be the, the, you know, the ultimate nice guy, but because he's already won the victory and now has equipped us to come along and do it in his name because he's the one doing it. So we are to Jesus calls us to participate in this mission with him of bringing about new creation. It won't happen perfectly until Jesus returns again 
But it can happen in bits and pieces now. When Jesus, by, the, by his power, Jesus working in us, allows us to be a part of relieving oppression from the poor, both financial poor and spiritually poor, by giving sight to, in the name of Jesus to the blind, both the physically blind and the spiritually blind. Jesus calls us on this. Let me say this real quick. One of the problems that the American church, when I say American church, I mean churches like ours and other churches like it do, is we say, Jesus is interested in spiritual things, like giving sight to the blind, oppression, the poor. That's like physical stuff. It's nice. If we get to that, that's fine. The main thing is, is that we help people believe the right doctrine so that they spiritually will be fixed. And God doesn't allow us to do that. There's no, there's, the spiritual and the physical go together. Jesus is determined to fix both. There's not one square inch of his creation that he is going to leave unredeemed. Okay. I mean, that, that, that right there, is the, that, that was the sermon uh, there. And now I'm done. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you one kind of related point and then I'm gonna do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk for just a few minutes about practical, practical ways we can put this in action. But that's basically the sermon. God promises a new creation. Jesus has started the new creation. Jesus has accomplished the new creation, in fact, even though it's not completely here in our space and time yet. And he calls us to be on board with him on this mission of bringing this about, all right? That's what the Bible teaches. And when we talk about restoration, us being a church who is about restoration, that's what we have to be about. We cannot be about, and I'm, I'm, I'm repeating some stuff I said in the healing sermon. We cannot be about, let's all, we all agree about the same thing. So let's hunker down on Sunday mornings inside of our little Lutheran ghetto and pat each other on the back and then just go about our business. And you know, next Sunday, we'll all get together with the people. That cannot be what we're about. And too frequently, it's what our churches are about, is creating little Christian ghettos where we can all agree with each other. And I, I, I hope that everybody in here, I know that not everybody does, but I hope that everybody will agree that Jesus died and rose from the dead and is now Lord of the universe. Okay, that's good. But the reason why Jesus has opened our eyes to that reality is because he has a plan to rescue Glenn Carbon. Not so that we can have good friends here inside of our fortress, but because he has a plan to rescue Glenn Carbon. And can we be about that? Okay, a related comment and then practical reflections. First, the related comment is this. This is why I harp all the time. And I, I, know, I, I, I know I make some people sick because this, like this is the horse that I've beaten long past the point of his death. The Bible is not about going to heaven when you die. Jesus hardly ever talks about this. Paul mentions it twice in all of his writings and just briefly. Instead, the Bible is all about Jesus' plan to return and make everything new and our call to be on the mission of being the advance guard to announce that that's going to happen and to begin to make it happen in bits and pieces now. Why is it such a big deal? Some of you will say to me, okay, fine, new creation instead of having, but why, why, what difference does it make, really? It all ends up good in the end, you know, what difference does it make? But here's the difference. Here's why this is so important. Here's why it's so important that you, we begin training ourselves not to talk about Jesus save me so I can go to heaven when I die, but to start talking about Jesus save me because he wants to build a new creation someday. This is why this is so important. And it has to do with the, with the difference between, ask yourself this question, are we escaping or are we transforming this world? Are we called to escape this world or have we been called to transform this world? That's the question. 
Now, if we're called to escape and get out of here, then yeah, let's kind of hunker down, make do until he comes, and then just kind of hope it gets over soon. I'll, I'll, maybe this illustration will help. Maybe it won't. I don't know. If you are in a burning building, let's say you're at home. I don't know if that's a good place to do it. But let's, say you're, let's say you're in a building and the building is on fire. What are you going to do? So you have a choice, right? You can escape or you can try to put out the fire. These are the two choices. And how are you going to make this choice? One of, the ways that, one of the things that you'll do when you make this choice, should I escape the burning building or should I try to put the fire out? One of the things that you'll do is you'll, 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 you'll ask yourself the question, is this an important building? If you are in your shed in the backyard and it's on fire, you'll probably just be like, I got to get out of here. The shed is not worth saving. If you're in your home, let's, let's ramp it up. Let's say it's a home that your father built and that you inherited and that you grew up in. If you're in this home and it's on fire, you're going to make a different sort of decision. You're going to weigh in your mind, should I escape or should I try and put this fire out because this house is really important and it's very, very important to me that this house survives. It's a family heirloom. It's this house needs to survive. So how much do you value the house? That's a question that you'll ask when you're trying to decide, do I escape or do I transform? Another thing that you'll do is you'll you ask yourself the question, like, can I can I do this? Like, if, if, if the house is a raging inferno and all you've got is, like, the water bottle that you use to, like, wet your clothes before you iron them, you'll probably say, I'm going to get out of here. But let's say that you are a trained and, for whatever reason, I don't know why, this is just a stupid illustration, you can just, it, it doesn't make any sense. You're trained and you're, in the moment, you're currently equipped as a firefighter. You have all your equipment with you. You have access to like powerful water sources. And it's your job to put out fires and you're in a house that you care about. Would you not do whatever you could to put that fire out? I, I think that you would. So now the question for us as Christians is this. Do we care about this world? And the answer is we better. Like God loves this world. He made this world for his own glory. His determination is to someday dwell on this world with us, to be our God and we be his people. The second question is, are we equipped to put out the fire? And the answer is yes. Jesus has the power by his death and resurrection to put out all the fires in the world. And he's given us by his Holy Spirit, by his word, by his sacraments. He has given us the power to be on this mission too. We are trained and equipped firefighters. So why is it that we as the Christian church frequently, when the house comes on fire, we run out with our equipment on, saying we gotta get out of here. Now maybe every once in a while, the way I grew up, you know, you kinda go and you try and rescue a few lost souls. You kinda try and see if you can get a few people out of the burning building, but mainly it's your job just to get out of there. Because it's a stupid old house. It doesn't matter. It's gonna go away. It doesn't count. And what I want you to see this morning is that we have to be about restoration because God's about restoration because he loves this world, and B, because he's equipped us to be about restoration, and we would be wasting our training and our equipment to not be about restoration as well, to not be about the salvation of Glenn Carbon. However much that costs us, and being a firefighter is definitely a risk, but we must be about fighting fires. All right, practical reflections, and then we'll be done. And this is actually... Um, 
more of a conversation I just kind of want to have right now with you and spit some things, spitball some things off of you real quick here and see what you think. What has God, and this has to do with the question, what has God called us to do and be here in Glen Carbon? What has God called, how has he called us to put out fires in Glen Carbon? And of course the answer is, the, the, the answer to the question is going to revolve around what are the fires that need putting out in Glen Carbon? We have talked for, and it says it out on the sign, uh, word, mercy, and community. We've talked about mercy ministries uh, quite a bit. And I think that most of us who have been here for a while agree that God has called us to works of mercy. And uh, we have definitely uh, tried to do this. Uh, we have the Madison County, um, we have the, 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 the school program with the Mad Madison County Elementary Schools to help students who come from um, under, underprivileged and underserved families who, for instance, need uh, meals in the summer that they get during the school year with their school lunches, but they don't get in the summer uh, with Christmas stuff. Um, we've done things like that. But how do you do, and I'm not, th th those are important things. But how do you do mercy ministries in a community that is middle class to upper middle class? H how are we gonna do that? Yes, we do need to meet physical needs, but how do, you do, how do you do mercy ministries in a context where people don't have a ton of physical needs? It's a question we need to think about. All right, so what are the needs of Glen Carbon if they're not physical? If there's McMansions all over the place, what are the needs of Glen Carbon? I think, and again, I, this, I'm totally spitballing here. I think one of the needs is, is that there are no physical needs. This is one of the big needs of Glen Carbon, is that people don't have physical needs. People have been convinced in Glen Carbon that they've arrived. Like, they've done good in school, they worked hard, they've got nice houses, nice lawns, decent cars, they're able to take good vacations. And the American dream says that's success, and so they've told themselves that's success. Okay, but here's where the mercy ministry part comes in. You guys know this. I mean, this is not, this is statistically backed up by sociologists in middle-class communities, middle to upper middle-class communities like Glen Carbon. Like, loneliness is an epidemic. The amount of money that pharmaceutical companies make off of anxiety and depression meds in community like ours is gold. It's gold. Because... People have bought into the lie that if I have a nice house and nice retirement and my kids go to college, I've won, and then they wake up in middle age, upper middle age, and think, well, is that it? And they have nothing left to live for. This is why people have affairs. This is why people make stupid decisions. This is why people drink themselves to death. It's because it's deep existential emptiness in places like Glen Carbon. I mean, and, and, and this is sociological, sociologically verifiable, too. It's relational brokenness, divorce, just marriage struggles, but divorce is epidemic in, in uh, villages like ours. And there are lots of different reasons for that. I don't want to minimize it. There's lots of different reasons for that. It's not all this, but some of it is I've gotten everything I want, and I'm still as bored as heck, and I need something for excitement. But, but most women... Most men, when you ask them, why did you have affairs, they'll say lonely. Most women, when they're polled about why they had an affair, they'll say, I was bored. It's hardly ever about like sexual passion. I met this really hot guy and I just had to sleep with him. It's almost always about loneliness and boredom. Almost always. All right. 
So what are we as a church doing to meet those needs? Those are the real needs. Those are the real tangible needs growing out of the fall against the rebellion against God. Trading the Bible story for the American dream story has not made Glenn Carbon this fulfilled, really, really solid, happy, satisfied place. It hasn't. So what are we going to do? All right, I'm going to, this is a few ideas for you. One is, I, I've mentioned this in a Bible study, elders and I have talked about this. I would like to see us within the next handful of years start a counseling center here at St. James. Not with me doing counseling, I'm not a counselor, but like to have a place where we have actual counselors here that people in the community can know that when I have questions, when I have struggles, like there's a place to go to get answers from people who care about me and who, maybe this won't be their number one motivation, but who have biblical answers for this. I'm asking you guys to pray about this with me. I don't know if this is what God wants for us. It's an idea and maybe it's from the Holy Spirit and maybe it's just, I have lots of dumb ideas. Maybe it's one of those. But will you guys pray about this with me and think about working towards this goal? That would take money, right? It would take space. We don't have space. And it would take money to hire counselors. But I think it's actually what Glenn Carbon needs is a place for people to build community with other people who can give them answers. Second thing is this, and this is, this is a definite here. I would like to see all of us equipped to do biblical counseling. I don't mean as, I'm not a counselor. I'm not qualified to give like licensed counseling and I, and I wouldn't pretend to, but I would like to see all of us equipped to give biblical answers to the problems that people have. So your friends come to you and they have these, exist, these, these questions of existential emptiness. What are you gonna say when you have a conversation with, their friend, with your friends and they say things like, the most important thing is to learn to forgive yourself. There's, there's something good about that and there's something wrong about that. How are you gonna help them navigate that question? What are you gonna do when they come to you and they're grappling with anxiety or depression? That takes wisdom. There's not one right or wrong answer. You really have to get involved relationally in people's lives. Are, are we prepared to do that? What are you gonna do when people say, um, oh, this is a plug for Chuck and I's podcast. The, the most recent episode, not the one that's out, but the one that's coming out in a few weeks is about this. What are you gonna do when people come to you and, and they say, I spent the first part of my life trying to make people love me, and then I finally realized I'll only be happy when I learn to love myself. What are you gonna do when people say that? Because that too, there's a truth to that, but there's a very, very dangerous, very dangerous trap in that as well. What are you gonna do, not only with yourself, but help other people navigate through this, right? What are you gonna do when people come and they say, I, th I, I think the main thing is God just wants me to be happy. What are you gonna do when people come to you with relational brokenness, with kids that they're estranged from, with parents that they're frustrated at the thought, I've gotta take care of this person because they're old and they're in a, uh, they, they need assisted care, but they don't wanna go, and so I've gotta go over to the house every day. What are you gonna do when, when people come to you and say, I got married to this person, and it was, I, I guess it was good at one time, and we were happy together, but just something's changed, and I just don't like this person anymore. What are we gonna do when people come to us? Now, part of this is my job, is to, to, to preach and teach about these things, to equip us to answer these questions in our own hearts and minds, but also to help others. But I, I want us to be intentional about, I, 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 what I don't want is us to come to church and be here, okay, let's hear a, a sermon, and then I'll go home and see you guys later. I want us to come and think, we need to be equipped. What can, we, what can we do with each other today to equip us and to train us to minister to these existential, deep existential holes in the lives of Glenn Carbon? That's what I want us to think about, okay? 
So I need to preach, I need to teach. I can't tell you about this right now because I don't have the details yet, but there's something that's really, that's gonna be very helpful coming along the line uh, pretty soon here. I'd like to build, um, I'd like to build a, a resource center for us to be able to get answers to this. And somebody has, uh, I believe, has volunteered to help with this, and I'll give you more information uh, on this uh, coming soon. But I, I want us to be on mission, and I want us to be about restoration. And if God's ultimate plan is to heal the bodies, to heal the mental illnesses, to heal the psychological struggles, to heal the existential struggles, to heal the relational struggles of the people of Glen Carbon, that's what we need to be about right now. Jesus has already started doing it. He's still doing it. When it happens here, it will be because Jesus is doing it. And why not let us be a part of that too? Why not let us go along with Jesus and watch him do that? All right, more on that later. Let's pray and then have communion. Father, bless us with this. We wanna be a part of your new creation plans. You've already told us that you've made us new creation. If we are in Christ, we are new creation. Father, make us a part of this new creation mission too, not just to be content with us being new creation, but to bring your new creation to, 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 to those in Glen Carbon in whatever way you see fit. We can't do this on our own. We can't do this at all, Father. We need you to do this by the power of your son, Jesus, who loved us, loved us and gave himself for us. And we pray this in his name, amen.